Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So that's all one sentence in Greek, and as I said last week, it's a sentence that starts with the word God, because the author of Hebrews wants to emphasize to us that all these different types of revelation, the different ways through which God has spoken to his people over time, they were all God speaking. And what made them reliable, what made them useful, was not the means of communication. It's not like there's some magic about the Urim and the Thummim that if we had them today, wow, then we'd really know which house to buy or which job to take. It's not that there's something magical about dreams where it's guaranteed that our dreams have deep, deep meaning and that we can interpret that meaning somehow and apply it to our lives reliably. It's that God was the one speaking. And so when God told his people, I will speak through this, I will speak this way, I will say this, and here's how you know it's true, you knew the message was reliable because it came from God. And so this big long sentence in Hebrews shows us from the very beginning the difference between this old revelation, the old way of speaking, which was fragmentary, which was spoken through the prophets, and this new way of speaking, which is complete and comes from the one who is the Son of God. Um, so that God being the first word is the emphasis there. And I told you last week, he's going to use that word God more frequently per sentence, per verse, per word, however you want to say it, than any other writer in the New Testament. This book is all about God and specifically how God has revealed. Now, in the old way of speaking, it says God sent his revelation through a variety of ways. Um, As we read through the Old Testament, we pick up on a lot of phrases about God communicating, and then those phrases get kind of stuck in the Christian vernacular. So you'll, you'll know when you hear in the cool of the day that it's talking about God speaking to Adam in the garden. Uh, He spoke to Abimelech in dreams. He spoke to Abraham in visions and visits. Jacob's dreams, of course, are uh, famously memorable. He spoke to Moses face-to-face, the way a man speaks with a friend, it says. He spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice, that uh, popular Christian phrase. Uh, He spoke to Isaiah in a vision in the temple, you know, Isaiah 6, that famous passage. And behold, I saw in the year that King Uzziah died, the Lord, so we got this vision, Um, He speaks to Hosea through his family circumstance. The way God reveals his message to Hosea is through this, hey, go take for yourself this woman as a wife. And then we get that story that unfolds. Uh, That's pretty hard to interpret without God's help. How does he speak to Amos? In a basket of summer fruit. All right, that's a pretty weird one. Um, He can get his message through symbols, natural events, pillars of fires, uh, smoke, clouds, any other means, God has a lot of different ways that he is able to say what he wants to say. Um, He appears in Ur of the Chaldeans, in Haran, in Canaan, in Egypt, in Babylon. God manifests himself in a whole bunch of different places, in a whole bunch of different ways, in a whole bunch of different times. Through the prophets, from Moses to Malachi, 
God records his revelation in written form. The prophets come, they speak to the people, and then a scribe writes down what the prophet has said, what God has communicated to them. And so that's why we have the history books in the Old Testament. It's why we have the Psalms, the Proverbs, the prophecies. We have these books of the Old Testament because the way that God chose to communicate at that time was to his prophets, and then the prophets would have these things written down. They are saints called by God who are filled with his spirit to speak the word. And uh, there is something special about being a prophet, but there's nothing special about those prophets. (laughs) That is, what made them special is that God picked them. And God said, I'm going to communicate to my people through you. I'm going to give you a vision, a dream. I'm going to give you a word from the Lord. You're to go communicate that to the people. And oh, by the way, just in case anybody's really excited about getting in the prophet business and wants to pretend that they're a prophet, here's going to be the deal. If your prophecy comes true, you get to live and the people hate you for what you said to them. And if the prophecy is false, I tell the people to stone you. So it's not like anybody should have really been eager to say, hey, uh, those prophets look really popular. I'm going to pretend I got a word from the Lord, too. So the Lord builds in this mechanism through which he reveals himself and gradually reveals the coming of Christ. And we get this concept that's going to be really important for us called progressive revelation. And it's it's a simple concept, which is over time, if you think about a timeline of history, okay, and here you got the cross. And here you got the second coming. And here you got the garden, right? And here you got a snake. Yes, that's a snake. Now he has an eye. A foot above his head. Uh, This is history, right? When you view the, the timeline of life through the Christian lens, this is all of history. And what progressive revelation says is, God has been saying the same thing. He has been speaking of the same events since the very beginning. In Genesis 3.16, he will say that there will be a seed and the seed will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent will strike its heel. He says, though Adam and Eve will bring death into the world, they will not ultimately and finally die because God will send a redeemer. And here's what the redeemer is going to do. Now, Does he say, Jesus Christ is going to come, I, God, am going to take on human flesh, I, God, am going to live a perfectly sinless life as fully man, I will be wrongly convicted for crimes I did not commit, be crucified on a cross for somebody else's sin, and that will satisfy the divine judgment of God against his people. No, it doesn't say that here. What does it say? There'll be a seed. I'm not going to wipe you out now. And so even though they're telling the same story, the, the focus of the story, the amount of the story you get at that point is really, really narrow. And then what happens over time is the focus, the details of the story become really, really broad, more and more clear. God progressively reveals himself and his plan. He reveals it here, just a teeny, teeny, tiny bit. And then when you get here, you see what's going to be fully true. And then when you get here, you actually experience the fullness of God's plan and his truth. But he told you about it all back here. So these prophets over time are telling us more and more and more. But this is why a prophet that speaks at this moment in the timeline does not speak with the same clarity as a prophet who speaks at that moment in the timeline. Were the messages of Isaiah and John the Baptist 
inconsistent. Did they disagree with one another? Did they talk about different plans? No, they talk about exactly the same Savior. But who spoke about that Savior more clearly? Well, John the Baptist did, mostly because he said, it's that guy. (laughs) And that's pretty clear revelation. So progressive revelation means everything we hear back here is true. And it's telling us about the same plan all along the way. But God becomes more and more clear over time as he gradually unfolds history and reveals the coming of Christ. Um, Does somebody have 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12? Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So who, when the prophets prophesy, when this guy speaks or when this guy speaks... Where, where did their message come from? from? From what's the source of their message? And Peter says, it's the mind of God. So the mind of God knows all things. And then he is pleased at lots of different times and in lots of different ways to reveal himself to reveal that plan down to his people so that the prophets could tell us, so that prophets like John the Baptist could tell us, and so finally, in the time of Christ and after, we could see what he was doing in the events that already happened. They're looking forward, we're looking backward, but we're all trying to understand what the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ means. And so God reveals from his mind to the prophets uh, what that is. So what our author of Hebrews says is within this framework of progressive revelation and God revealing his mind, it says in various times or diverse times. Okay, we see that. God's been revealing his mind all the way from here and he hasn't stopped revealing his mind in one sense. So God is revealing his mind in various times and in various ways. And we get that because we did the survey of all the different strange stuff through which God revealed himself. So that's what God has done. Various times, various ways, he has revealed himself. But then what did it say in Hebrews? But in, so let's say if we put brackets on history, we got this moment where it begins and we're going to go all the way to, he says what? But in these last days. So he groups all of this revelation in one bucket from the beginning when God revealed himself until the time just before the last days. What's the last days? Well, it's the time after Christ's ascension and before, I don't know, you put a smiley face, the end of all things. I don't know. Um, The last days starts with Christ's ascension. So, At that moment, we're going to get into something new. And what he's talking about first is this scope of history. And what does he say about that scope of history? That God revealed himself in diverse times and diverse ways. Yep, we got that. That's exactly what we have followed. Then he says, but. So he's drawing a contrast. And that's really important for what we're talking about this morning. But in these last days, now we're starting a new bracket from Christ's ascension until the smiley face. See, I got 
This is the end of all things. We're happy. We're with Jesus. In that bracket, the subject, we're still going to be talking about the same thing. We're still going to be talking, it's all one sentence. We're still going to be talking about how God reveals himself. In this bracket, God revealed himself through all of these ways, but in these last days, and then what does it say? He has spoken. No, no, just stop there. He has spoken. Let's stop on that word for a minute. Look at all the different times and ways that God spoke in those times. Wow, lots of diversity in how God speaks. Wow, at any moment, God could speak again. But in these last days, for our period of time, he has spoken, finished, said all he's going to say in his son. Jesus is, and, and it makes sense if you go back to our progressive revelation concept, right? Why did God speak so much and in many different ways? Because he was speaking progressively, because he's revealing more and more and more. The message isn't clear yet. How much more clear can he be than Jesus Christ? Hey, God, what's your plan for saving your people? Uh, that. (laughs) That's pretty clear. And so what is the New Testament? The New Testament is the account of what Jesus did and the account of what Jesus told the apostles about what he did and therefore what they needed to do. So you look at a little teeny tiny, I drew my brackets back to back, But really what you've got is this little tiny section of bracket in the middle. And that's where God speaks through Jesus Christ. He speaks through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the teaching of Jesus Christ to the apostles. Even after Jesus ascended, he said to the apostles, I'm going to send you my spirit and you're going to basically be able to write the New Testament because I send my spirit to you. You're going to be able to understand the things that I taught you. Because remember, you you look at the life of the disciples when Jesus is actually with them, teaching them. And you think, these are the guys who are going to write the New Testament. These are the guys who are going to explain to us what all of this means. They don't even understand what all of it means in the garden the night before it happens. But Jesus comes back after his resurrection and he teaches them what it means. And he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so that as you write down what all of this means, it will be perfect and it will be trustworthy. And what God says in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 is that was it. That was what all of this revelation had been leading up to. And it doesn't go on to infinity. It stops right there at the cross because it is complete. With the New Testament, with the testimony of Jesus Christ in his life and through the apostles, God, God's revelation is complete. Um, again, still consistent. There's nothing that was said here that's different than what was said here. Just so much clearer. So much easier for us to understand. Um, not any easier for us to believe than for them. Still requires faith. But easier for us to understand because we have so much more uh, information. Same God speaking in both. The same God that spoke through the prophets, through dreams and visions and fire and bushes and all smoke and all kinds of stuff. Same God spoke through Jesus Christ. 
That's the emphasis of the author. God speaks. He spoke here in lots and lots of ways. And then he spoke this one time and he was done speaking. And now you who live in these last days, when you say we need to hear from God, what do we look to? Do we look to the Urim and the Thummim? Do we look to interpreting our dreams? Do we look to meditating in a forest and listening for a still small voice? No, God in those times, in former times, spoke in those ways. But today, in these last days, he has spoken in his son. And that's what we look to to understand the revelation of God. The will of God is his son. And in fact, just one nitpick there. The NIV and many English translations say his son, um, but that's not there in the Greek. It's son. He has spoken in son. Uh, and that seems like a strange distinction to make, but it's, it's the one, it's not speaking about a son. It is speaking about the one who possesses the characteristic of sonness, which I know sounds very strange, but in Greek, it's trying to make a distinction between the prophets. The prophets were sons of God in a sense, right? That we would all call ourselves sons and daughters of God in a sense. And yet what the author is saying is not that God has spoken through the greatest of all the prophets, the one who was more the son of God than anybody else was the son of God. No, no. He spoke through the son, the one who is son. Um, And so that's an important point because for the rest of this book, the author of Hebrews is going to make the point very strongly that Jesus is not just one in a long line of prophets, but that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is something categorically different. And so, think back to the theme of this book, how could you go back to these lesser prophets and these lesser ways when you have the one who possesses sonness? You have the Son of God and his revelation. Um, So F.F. Bruce says it really well. The story of God's revelation is a progression up to Jesus Christ, but there is no progression beyond him. There is nothing clearer after Jesus. That's the doctrine we need to understand for what I'm going to say next about why that matters so much and why that matters so much for us. But what what questions or comments do you have about the doctrinal part and this idea of progressive revelation, how God used to speak, and then what God says about how he spoke? This helps me. I found Gerhardus Voss's explanation of this. He he talks about it as organically, meaning Mm -hmm. the relationship of the Old Testament and the New Testament is like a seed. Everything is there in the seed. But you don't see the oak tree until it's busted up out of the ground, thrown up. And so they are knit together completely. You can't have one without the other. Right. And, but it just flowers over time. And there is a point at which the tree is the tree. Yeah. It doesn't become something more. Yeah. All right. How does God speak today? That is, we in the Christian life, want to do what God says. We want to live in a way that pleases God. We want to know the will of God. We want to know how to make decisions. How does God communicate to us today? 
And let me start by making an important distinction with my question. I'm not asking how can God anything. God can do whatever he wants. But what God does do is what he said he would do. And remember, for me, I grew up in the Pentecostal charismatic church. And an important doctrinal tenet of Pentecostalism is that God is still speaking. And that part of our problem as Christians is that we don't listen to what God continues to say. So then, if you, okay, God is still speaking. How, not can, can speak however he wants, how does God speak? Well, where would I go to find that out? Well, I would go to the Bible and I would say, God does speak exactly how he said he would. God's not a liar. So if God tells me he's going to do something a certain way, that is the way he's going to do it. Not because he can't do it another way, but because he said he would. God is true. But Hebrews 1.1, how did God say he would speak? Well, actually, he said, done speaking, reference son. <laughs> if you want to hear the revelation of God in its fullness, in its completeness, I refer you to the son. That's what God says, and that's what Hebrews 1.1 says. That everything God needed to say, and everything that God was going to say to his people, is finished, completed, he said, spoke, done speaking, in the Son. And remember how the author of Hebrews defined the Son as include all of the New Testament. What the apostles taught us from the Son. What John, the revelator, had revealed to him by Jesus as the closing of the Bible. You ever, sometimes I forget about this, and it's such an obvious passage. But do you ever go read the last passage in the whole Bible? It's pretty intense when you read it. Because you read this last letter, this vision of John that we're, we're uh, preaching through right now. And how does it end? It says, this is the end. And by the way, if you try to add anything after this letter, that's bad for you. Real bad, because it's not from God. And so John is given the closing revelation of God's word to his people. And no wonder that I've said in the sermon series, this whole book's about Christ. Revelation is about Christ being with his people and with his church until Christ returns again. The whole book of Revelation is about Christ. He's the focus, not Iran, not black helicopters, no crazy talk, just Jesus Christ with his people through some really tough stuff until he returns. And so God says, this is the way I will speak. And then God actually speaks that way. And then he says at the end of that speaking through John, I am done speaking. And then in the letter to the Hebrews, it says, this is the way I will speak, and I am done speaking with what I said. So God makes it really clear that uh, he is done speaking. So this is really good for us, because the author of Hebrews is going to make the case that Christ is superior. And one of the ways that we need to understand that is Christ being superior to everything else out there in the world. 
whatever philosophical idea wants to come forward, whatever you know, brilliant uh, ph philosopher or theologian decides that they have something new to add and we never saw this before and here's a new way we need to be thinking and this is what the secrets of the universe really are. We can just remember what the book of Hebrews tells us. No, actually Christ is the superior revelation. Christ is the fullness. So you might be uh, persuaded by this because of your own desires. You might be persuaded of this because of uh, your love of your own sin and your desire to defend it. You might be persuaded by this because it allows you to do what you want to do. But I guarantee you, whatever new ideas come along, Jesus is superior to all of that. The revelation of God is the most superior teaching. So we can't go to those other ways. Even if we decide we like them better, uh, we can't claim that they're superior because they're not. This also puts important safeguards and boundaries on preachers and teachers within the church. Because I can't say, well, let me teach you about the Bible and everything that Jesus said. And let me tell you about this, this really new stuff that, I, that God showed me to add to that. Right? Yes, everything the Bible says is true. You should believe in Jesus Christ and give me all your money. I, the word came from the Lord, people. The Lord spoke through visions and dreams in the past. So why can't he speak that way today? Who are you to tell me that God didn't speak that way to me? So give me all your money. We laugh, but like that's exactly how most of television preaching, at least, and a lot of other preaching works. And it's not as, uh, as always as blatant as give me all your money. But isn't it the same concept? Jesus said this, and that's absolutely true. And Jesus showed me this new thing that now I'm going to tell you, and you need to know that too. Here's how you have to educate your children. That's a popular one, right? Well, the Bible says you have to. No, actually, Jesus revealed it to me in a dream that's about as meaningful as the dream I had after I ate that pizza at two in the morning, right? This is exactly the type of work that you have to be in. This is exactly the amount of money you have to give to charity. This is exactly the way you have to order all of the priorities in your life. People add all sorts of things to what God revealed in Jesus Christ. And those things may be wise. There may be much wisdom, especially in their own circumstance, for how you apply the word of God and you come up with that answer. But a lot of times people don't do that. A lot of times people say, mm, you just don't read the will of God like I do. You're right. I read the will of God for what he actually said. And you add stuff and make stuff up and then say that God told you that too. Right? And God himself says, I'm not going to speak that way. So what do we do with this? Um, if, we, if we're saying that God does speak, he absolutely spoke in Jesus Christ, and he said a whole lot of things that are important, but God didn't, in Scripture, tell me whether or not to buy this house, whether or not to take this job, whether or not to have another kid, whether or not to do any of these other things, and I look at these decisions and I say, God, these decisions are really, really tough. It would have been great if you told me in your word what to do. Well, God's given us his word. So we start with allowed or not. People hate this one. By people, I mean me. Hate this one. That God actually does forbid some things and command some things. So if I decide whether or not, you know, I'm trying to, all right, God, is it your will that I would take this job and this job is in an illegal industry or yes, turns out I can't sell drugs. Just all these things that I would want to do. 
I can't do it because God says you're not allowed to do this. And that's like the baseline level. And we think, oh, that's so easy. You figure out the, just got to, we fight that one tooth and nail. We fight that one tooth and nail. Every college or uh, after college girl I have ever counseled in my pastoral life who was dating an unbeliever. And you would go to scripture and you would say, scripture says you should not marry this man. Like you want to talk about wisdom stuff and you want to talk about the counsel of other people stuff and you want to talk about open doors and closed doors and you want to talk about what you want in your heart. All those things are totally worth talking about in every single decision you make if you get past step one, is this allowed or not? I got to get past step one because God revealed it clearly in his word. What am I allowed to do? What am I forbidden from doing? Then... There is this sense of wisdom, right? The scriptures don't explicitly say that the punishment for my child's insubordination should not be locking him in his bedroom for four months uh, and only feeding him granola bars. But I could use some wisdom and say, you know, I think I got enough evidence from scripture that that's not the way I want to approach this situation, that that's not wise. Then... God gives me counsel from other people. And what that counsel does is gives us a second set of eyes on those two. We go to Christians, we go to believers, and we say, hey, do you see scripture as requiring or forbidding anything here that I'm not thinking about? And hey, in your wisdom, as you read the scriptures, as you've gone through life and had successes and failures that I haven't had, especially us parents with our children, most of what we're trying to teach is from our own mistakes, right? Hey, can I spare you this one? Because I did that 12 times and it never works. (laughs) But that's what counsel is, is this concept of I'm going to go to other people and I'm going to ask them for help on wisdom and for help on permitted or forbidden. And then, so, but notice, notice, God has spoken a whole bunch, right? I've got a whole bunch of tools at my disposal right now to figure out the will of God without God saying one word beyond what's in the Bible so far. Not one word. God did not have to give me an extra verse. He did not have to come to me in a dream. He did not have to whisper to me in a still small voice. All I needed was his word to get this far down the decision chart. And then you know what comes next? Um, Providence. So here we've got revelation and here we've got providence. This is simply open and closed doors. Do you know how I know for a fact that God does not want me to be a professional major league baseball player? It is not because God spoke to me in a still small voice and said, I'm sorry, Paul, that's not my call for you. It's that I stink. It's that nobody wants me to play for their team. And so as I see the closed door of God, it is clear to me, this is not the will of God. And I'm amazed the number of people who say to me, I am certain this is the will of God. And you look and you're, you're certain that God wants you to move this ton of bricks with your bare hands. He's given you no way of doing this. What do you mean when you say you're certain it's his will? And then the last one is our wants. We are Christians. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. God gives us desires. He made us unique and individual people with likes and dislikes. So when I'm trying to figure out the will of God, as long as I am doing it in this order, very, and people hate this. When I'm doing counseling, people hate this. You go through this step, and then you look at them and you say, what do you want to do? Well, that can't be right. God never wants me to do what I want to do. But that's not true. Very often God wants us to do what we want to do. He gives us wants. 
If it's not against something that he requires or permits, if it's wisdom, counsel helps us interpret those. And if the door's open and we want to, we go through it. So that's why this is so important, because people will say to us, God can't be done speaking, because if God is done speaking, then I never know from God what it is I'm supposed to do. I have no way to determine the will of God. And what Hebrews says is that's not true. God told you everything you need to know in the Son. We have every piece of information we need for salvation and for living in the Scriptures. And we don't need extra words. We don't need dreams and visions and signs. We don't need urms and thumums. We don't need, so we don't need any of that. So very last thing, what do we do when somebody says, well, God told me to such and such? Well, the first thing is we put on our nice, gracious, winsome tone of speech. Because most people, when they say God told me to do something, they don't mean God came to me and spoke in an audible voice, and I am now completely sure that that's what he wants. Sometimes people mean that, um, and we should help those people. But most of the time, they don't mean that. Most of the time, they would rephrase it as, I feel like God is leading me to X. And in the absence of any other strong feeling, I have to believe that that's God's leading. And so then what we do as friends is we just walk them through this. We just say, hey, we're all looking for God's leading. How do we know that God is the one doing the leading? Well, if it's leading us to sell drugs, probably not God doing the leading. If it's leading us to lock our kids in their rooms for three months and only give them granola, probably not God doing the leading. That's my uh, advice and opinion on that. And then what doors are open, what are closed, and what do you want to do? That's how we approach this. And we're gracious with people. We're careful when we speak. I don't think we should ever say God told me to such and such. I just think that's not careful language. But when other people say it, we're more gracious with them. We say, hey, tell me what you mean by that, or let's talk about what that looks like. Because God says he's done speaking. And a lot of times what you can help people do, you'll feel like you're being mean. A lot of times you can relieve guilt. People will have this burden of guilt that they don't think it's okay as a Christian to say, I'm doing this because I want to. (laughs) And they say, okay, you want to, that's cool. God gave you the opportunity. God doesn't forbid it. Sounds good to me. Wow, what a load of guilt that is to come off the Christian conscience, as opposed to having to dress it up in this language of, well, God told me in a vision and therefore you're not allowed to disagree with it. That's much less helpful. 